You came into this world, a little baby, and you are a bundle of needs. I don't know if there's anyone here who's got a little one right now, but you literally came into this world, myself included, kicking and screaming. That's every one of us. And I don't know how many years you've been able to accumulate, but I don't know if all that much changed. No matter what age we get to, we're pretty needy people. One of my favorite comedies came out in 1991. It's a movie called What About Bob? And I think I can recommend it. I don't think there's any bad scenes in there. Pretty funny movie. And in the movie, um, Bill Murray plays this main character, Bob. And he is a, like, over-the-top phobic. He's afraid of everything. He is uh, obsessive-compulsive, um, sort of neurotic character who is incredibly needy, like needy over the top. And then Richard Dreyfus plays his therapist. And Richard Dreyfus is sort of this, I've got no time for this guy. This guy's sucking the life out of me. He's sort of this exasperated, impatient therapist. Get away from me. And Bob is at him all the time. And the movie comes up and there's this one particular scene where Bob is just sort of sucking the life out of his therapist and manipulates and connives his therapist so badly that he finds out where he's having a summer vacation and in sort of a public setting, kind of an open little village shop area. He comes up to him. If you know the movie, I just think this is funny. Direct quote. He's trying to get help from his therapist. He says, I'm in really bad shape. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I need, I need, I need. He's screaming this in front of everybody. I say that today because I think there's a whole lot of that in me. I think there's a whole lot of that in you. But here's the really wonderful thing about it. It's not all bad. God actually made you this way. Did you know that God made you full of needs? Great needs, legitimate needs, godly, noble, proper needs that you ought to have in your life. He created you with needs, and they should be met. They need to be met in your life, every one of us. But it makes you vulnerable. If you don't need anything, then you're not vulnerable. But it makes us vulnerable because we have this sort of endless energy this capacity to think and to focus on things and to chase after things and to be interested in things and to invest our lives and our time and our energy into all kinds of assortments of things. Every person here has emotional needs. Everyone, you do, and so do I, whether you want to admit it or not. Of course, every person here has physical needs. What's the word when you mix hungry and angry? Hangry, anyone experienced hangry? Anyone here has a spouse who gets hangry? Don't answer that question. Right? You, it's, a, it's a physical need in your life and an emotional need in your life. The great thing about these needs, the great wonderful thing about these appetites is that God can meet every single one of them. In fact, God has put you in a place where those legitimate good needs can be met in a wonderful, wonderful way. And when they are, you feel recharged and you feel a sense of direction and purpose, you feel satisfaction, you feel fulfillment. Oftentimes in meeting legitimate godly needs in your life, it's full of joy. It's actually something you can be laughing about and have a sense of awe and wonder about in God. But of course, sometimes we take those godly, godly needs and we warp them and we twist them. Or we say, okay, this is what God wants me to have, 
And this is legitimate. And we say, but I want more. I demand more. And when we do, we get ourselves into just a little bit of trouble. So welcome to week number two, Mount Pleasant, Alma, and online, of this series, Unsubscribe. Each week, we are opting out of and we are unsubscribing from stuff in your life that's just genuinely unhelpful and genuinely unhealthy. And instead, we're going to opt in for what we're just describing as the God way of life. So last week, we unsubscribed from being distracted to being present. I hope you enjoyed the presence of God last week a hundred times, a thousand times, where you made yourself consciously aware of the presence of God in your life. Next week, we're going to unsubscribe, tell me who'd like some of this, from being overwhelmed to rest. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't, don't we need that in life? And that's what God has as a gift for you this upcoming Sunday. Today, we're going to unsubscribe from more to, here's this word that we rarely ever say, enough. We're going to unsubscribe from gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need, to I'm content. I actually don't need any more. Remember, we're all a great big bag of needs. Buddhism actually claims that you will reach the pinnacle of yourself when you rid yourself of any kind of desire and need. I actually think that's preposterous. It's actually the opposite of what the Bible teaches. To the contrary, God made you full of great needs, and they should be fulfilled in a way that gives you awe and wonder and joy in your life, and God lavishly provides those needs for you. You were made to have an abundance of needs and in that to thrive. Thomas Aquinas puts it like this. The neediness of the soul is actually a pointer to God. So God put these desires inside of you. And when you find them fulfilled, something of God's face is revealed to you. God put you together. And, and I think you all know this, God has given us limitations. There are 24 hours in a day. I have X amount of energy before I fall asleep at night. We have limitations. Why, do, why did God make us needy? And why did God place limitations in us? There's a wonderful, beautiful reason why. It's because you were built to be dependent. Now, we don't like that. We really don't. Most people don't want to be dependent on anyone or anything. Most people want to say, I've got my stuff figured out. I am autonomous. I have what I need, and I provided that for myself to do and to get where I want to go in life. And actually, God created you for the very opposite of that. That's actually rooted in rebellion, a sense of independence from community and a sense of independence from God. But God actually made you, built you with limitations and a necessity for dependence upon your father. You think again back to what I first started with like a newborn baby. God built you like that for all the days of your life into eternity. That you would live in this loving relationship where you would, you would, it would be necessary for you to lean into him and that he would be a provider for you in your life. Listen to these words from Kent Dunnington. He says, we are limited in every way except for one. <laughs> Look at this. We have unlimited desire. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I need, I need, I need more, 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 more. We always want more. 
I want more information. I want more promotion. I want more money. I want more reputation. I want more house. I want more clothes. I want more stuff. I want more car. I want more time. I want more beauty. I want more funny TikTok videos. They never, ever stop. All the time. We never have enough. Author Orberg puts it like this. He says, my soul's infinite capacity to desire is a mirror image of God's infinite capacity to give. I love that. That neediness inside of you, it points to a God who says, and I will meet your needs. That dependence and limitation inside of you points to a God who says, and I have grace for all of that for you. What if the real reason we never feel like we have enough is that God has not yet finished just blessing us? What if the real reason we never feel satisfied is that God has not yet finished just pouring out His provision and His grace into our lives? What a beautiful thought. The unlimited neediness that is inside of you and I is only matched by the unlimited grace of God. So what's the problem with more, 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 more? The problem is that these wonderful and good and right needs that we have, that God has placed inside every single one of us, the truth of the matter is that has been mixed and conjured up in our brokenness and in our fallenness and in our sinfulness and in a broken world. Our need was meant to point us to God. It was meant to bring us to a place of, like, in a right way, like leaning into God as a parent and a child would, like depending on God. Instead, what happens is we end up salivating over a thousand other shiny little things that catch our attention every hour of every day. And then our devotion wanders in a million different directions. And the Bible has a word for that, and we mentioned it last week, and I'm going to say it again. The word for that is idolatry. It crops up in our life, I think, probably more than we would imagine. And that is simply the idea that something or somebody else would take precedence over God in our lives. And so when you and I start chasing after more, more what? More whatever. This is like fill in the blank stuff. What it does is it actually dethrones God in my life and in your life as a priority. Tim Keller calls it the sin beneath the sin. Any time that I sin, I am allowing a competing desire and saying it has a higher priority over God in my life. I have something else on a pedestal that is higher than God. All sin involves idolatry of some kind. In fact, I would say, honestly, we probably commit idolatry almost on a daily basis. I will meet my needs apart from God. Idolatry. There it is. And that looks like a zillion things. It can be all kinds of things. But pastor, I love God. Why would you say that about me? Don't be so mean. I believe in Jesus. Tell me if you find yourself in any of these scenarios. I think about money a whole lot. Getting more of it. Sometimes I fantasize about winning the lottery. I think of things that I could have and buy and enjoy. Sound familiar? I long to climb the ladder. I want to be respected more. I probably wouldn't say that out loud, but I should be. Respected by my children, by my spouse, at work. I wish I had more power. 
sound familiar? I think I have a lot of integrity. I'm an honest person. I'm a, uh, but in secret, I probably wouldn't tell anybody this, but I would place those values aside if I thought that nobody would find out that I did so. If my doctor told me that I had to give up alcohol or cigarettes or sugar or red meat or caffeine because it was putting my health at risk, there's simply no way that I would ever do that. I could not do that. It would be impossible for me to do that. I would rather hide that and bump into ill health than avoid accountability and avoid accountability in my life. Besides my family and people that I love, there are some things that are in my life that if I lost them, besides my loved ones, there are things in my life that if I lost them, I would be utterly devastated and destroyed. It would crush me if I lost those things. Last one. I love God, and I want to follow Him closely, but there's one thing that always seems to get in the way, and it is, you fill in that blank. When you need in a way that brings a person or the need into a place where it is simply more important than God, that's your idol. So what do we do? I know what we'll do. We'll just stop. <laughs> How many of us know that just doesn't work, does it? You ever done that? I'm just never going to do that again. I'm just never going to sin that. I'm never going to eat that thing. I'm never going to... And that lasts about five minutes. That's like an alcoholic just saying, I will just never drink again. 99% of the time, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't. What we love to look at those things, particularly those needs, through the hardcore lenses of like things like, you know, cocaine or gambling or, you know, addiction to alcohol. But I would suggest, all those things are very real for many people, that there's a whole lot of other niceties that are just as lethal. Addictions, needs that we say, I must have these things. If I don't have them, shopping on Amazon, gaming, comfort. I just have to be comfortable. Food, hobbies, recreation, entertainment, stimulus, clothes, makeup, gadgets, sports. Are you glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> and this is where grace comes in. Actually, this is the place where we need to encounter Jesus Christ. There's a fellow in the New Testament with a bit of a funny name, small man. His name was Zacchaeus, and he was a traitor to his people. He was a Jewish man, if you could believe this, collecting taxes from Jewish people for the Roman Empire. You've got to know he was not very popular. He actually sacrificed everything. His family, his friends, his reputation, his honor, his patriotism, his integrity, his image, his home. For what? What was this man's idol? What did he need? He wanted to get paid. And he did. He really got paid. Then one day, this small man with a huge need for money, he meets Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19 says this, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's a staggering statement for this man to make because he is addicted to money. 
This man's entire life has screamed, I will do everything I can to get more. I must have more. I demand to have more in my life. He is subscribed and committed to anything that it will take for the idol of money in his life and the trimmings that it brings to him. So what has happened? How did he move from more, more, more to enough? There's no other answer to that except for the fact that he had a face-to-face encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. He fell full force into the acceptance, love, and forgiveness of the Messiah in a way that actually turned him around and transformed him and redeemed him in his brokenness and in his fallenness. And all of a sudden, the glimmer and the attraction of everything that once held him captive was no longer appealing at all. It just didn't taste the same. Because his real need, he didn't know this, but he discovered this, his real need was actually found in the person of Jesus Christ. And everything that he had been clamoring for, those a million plastic little needs that never scratched the itch, it never moved him beyond this constant impulse all of the time to sort of an ongoing, ever-changing, salivating over more, 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 gimme, 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 would never be satisfied until he actually met Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus had invented a world where everything in his life orbited around money. Your life will orbit around something. Your education, your reputation, your career. Money's huge. Pornography, people-pleasing, the need for attention. Your life will orbit around something. It will. If you do not worship God... You will worship something else. Zacchaeus tasted the goodness of God, and then what happened to him is that nothing else tasted quite the same. In fact, everything else left a bad taste in his mouth. He began to orbit around something, should I say someone else, a new devotion, a newfound need. So God asks you a question today. It is burning in my heart. I cannot wait to say it out loud to you. God asks you this question. He stands in the center of history with his arms wide open, pinned to a tree with a crown of thorns on his head. He doesn't need you. He wants you. And here's his question for you. Picture him right now. Do you want me? That's his question of you. Do you actually want me? Crown of thorns, my hands and my feet are pinned. I don't need you, he says. I want you. I am the only one who is self-sufficient. But I want to know something. Do you want me? Such a critical question for your life today. Psalm 82, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. Could you talk like that? Is that you? Passionate words in the mall way of life, in the mall way of this world, where you are surrounded by a tidal wave of this demand that you ought to have more, more, more of whatever it is that you're salivating after. More money, more time, more attention, more loyalty, more devotion. Each of those things promising you the sun, moon, and the stars. In the middle of that, in this world where you live, 
Can you say, above that noise, above that clamor, above all of that which is screaming for my attention and saying that it will truly satisfy, can I actually say, no, my flesh cries out for the living God? As far as I can see, there's only one thing that will stop God. He simply will not pour out His Spirit in your life where He does not see hunger. He looks for hunger. Hunger means that you are dissatisfied with the way that it has been because it has forced you to live without Him in all of His fullness. He only comes when you're ready to turn it all over to Him. He doesn't care about your resume or your portfolio or your bank account. He doesn't even care about what you think you can do for Him. He only cares about the answer to one question today. Do you want me? Do you want me? Do you want me? And our answer is probably something like this. God, honestly? Yes, I do. But I don't. That's probably what our answer actually is. God, I do want you, but I don't want you. I am embarrassed to admit how inconsistent my, in my heart of hearts that my longing for God is. Do I love God? I really do love God. I do. I love Him. And I trust Him and I'm committed to Him until my head just gets turned around in another direction. And then I start chasing after these other things as though He's not enough for me. I start wanting other things in my life. I actually think I'm describing 99% of us here. I love Jesus, but yes, I'd also like a brand new Cadillac. And my head gets turned, and so does yours. God, you are my God, and I will follow you as I follow these 17 other people on Instagram. God, I will give you my heart and my possessions. I won't let them possess me. I will give generously. I will become a generous man, a generous woman. I will tithe and I will give my gifts. And at the same time, I'm going to give Amazon so much money that I will become a debt slave. But I love you, Jesus. But I love this as well. I believe in your word, but I also love it when people acknowledge me and are pleased with me. I also love pornography I also love partying. And here's the crazy thing. None of those things will ever fulfill you. Here's what they'll do. They'll impress you. They will. They'll get your attention. They'll make you feel beautiful. They'll make you feel happy. They'll make you feel accomplished. And then they won't. Because then all of those feelings will fade away. And you'll go for another hit. You'll go for more. More of more. They will not last. We're talking about our needs and our desires. Here's how Christ himself addresses it. Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There it is. Hunger and thirst. For what? For righteousness. That's when you'll be filled. So what we rarely understand, what we have a hard time wrapping our arms around, is that our greatest need is actually Christ himself, because he personifies righteousness. He's saying, if you would be hungry for me, I will meet all of your needs. If you will want me and pursue me, that is actually the moment in your life where you'll find fulfillment. What blows me away about God, I just can hardly fathom this, is that he is fully aware of the fact of how fickle 
and inconsistent we are in our pursuit of him, and still he pursues us. I can't get over that. Like, I get these moments in my life where I get impressed with myself and my own hunger for righteousness in God. I'm like, oh, way to go, Alan. You're, you're doing a good job. Way to be godly. And then five minutes later, I am upside down in rebellion. And I thought I was doing so well. And in that moment, I'm like, God, you must be somewhat impressed with me. And he knows all the days of my life. And still, aware of how inconsistent we are, he still pursues us. If I were God, I'd be like, forget you. I know all about you. I'm not pursuing you because I've seen your pursuit of me and it's pathetic. It's embarrassing. This story is so precious. I want you to see the heart of someone who would pursue you when your pursuit of him is embarrassing. Listen to this. True story. It was a biography. So she's writing down the story of her experience. She says she was born with a cleft palate. Difficult family background. She hated the way that she looked from, from just being tiny, from a small kid. The kids in school would do what kids do. They were mean and they were cruel to her. They called her names and they mocked her because she was disfigured. One day, a teacher in school asks her in front of everybody, what happened to your lip? She answered, I fell on glass and I cut my lip. She said that because it was less horrible than saying I was born like this. She hated it. She just hated herself. She hated who she was. She gets into second grade. She's just a baby. Second grade. She's standing in the classroom and they're doing hearing tests for every child. Now, as it happened in second grade, she had a wonderful teacher, just a sweet, caring, and kind woman. Her name was Mrs. Lawson and she was doing the hearing test. You would sit at her desk, and Mrs. Lawson would come up behind you, and she would whisper, I have red shoes. And the child had to whisper back, I have red shoes. And then she would go to the other ear, and she would say, it's a nice day. And the child would say back, it's a nice day. This little girl sat in the chair for her turn. Everyone had to do that. She's sitting in front of everybody. She's terribly self-conscious about where she's at. She's uncomfortable. Everyone's looking at her. Everybody. She's hating this moment. She's sitting there on the chair, and the teacher, Mrs. Lawson, leans in beside her. This is what she writes in her biography. Mrs. Lawson said the seven words that would simply change my life. She said, I wish you were my little girl. There's something about knowing that you are chosen. There's something about knowing that you are being pursued, wanted, that changes you in an instant. God wants you. Knowing the worst thing about you, knowing how inconsistently you want Him, He wants you. He says to you today, I wish you were mine. He whispers this over your life. He says this to every one of us. I'm going after you. I'm pursuing you. I'm going to save you because I wish you were mine. The power of the gospel is that while we were chasing more, gimme, 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 more money, more house, more self-worth, more success, God 
His love comes and it pursues us and it finds us and it chooses us individual. He seeks us out and his love changes us from needing to hold on to everything else to needing simply to hold on to him. I want you to come face to face today with the truth that God wants you. I'm telling you right now, there are people listening to me and you can't cope with that. I can't cope that you're telling me that God actually wants me. I'm telling you today, biblically speaking, this is the truth. He handpicks you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. As the word of God is being preached over your life in this moment, God is pursuing you. What are you going to do with that? In the middle of your unfaithful and inconsistent hunger for God, in the middle of your distracted pursuit of more, your idolatry for trinkets, our efforts to displace God off His throne in our lives, even in all of that, God says, I am pursuing you for myself. Our neediness of all of the wrong things pales in the light of His choice of you. Praise God, yeah? I want you to see two things. Number one, I want you to deeply appreciate God's pursuit of you in the light of your pursuit of other things. I want you to sit in that right now. God, man, I, I, I got not much to say, but I do need to say thank you. Thank you. There's only one response, I think, that fits into his pursuit of us in the light of our pursuit of everything else. And I think it's actually repentance. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for trying to dethrone you in my life. I'm so sorry for that idolatry, for chasing more and more and more and never being able to say enough. I'm so sorry for looking for satisfaction in things that just will never actually satisfy me. They're totally temporary. And then running off, just chasing the next thing and then the next thing. And none of them last. In fact, I know that they don't. I am a case study in the fact that none of them ever last. And I've done that in the context of your love and your choice of me over my life, your extension of grace. We are like children refusing to enter into a magnificent castle filled with treasure chests of such joyful discovery because we want to play outside in the mud. We have taken these legitimate, great needs and we've pointed them all in the wrong direction. God, would you forgive me and cleanse me? And number two, I would like for you today to see the true condition of your neediness before God. I want you to know this. <laughs> you and I, we're more needy than we even know. It's bad. It's worse than you think. We are so in need of God. Listen to this description. I want you to just imagine this. Just picture this in your mind for a second. Imagine you completely impoverished. Like you've got nothing. You are homeless. You have no clothes. You are naked. You are penniless. The word I would describe for you is you are a penniless, miserable wretch. You're perishing because you're starving and you have no food. You are hungry for basic food and water. And you know of only one person to ask to help you. I want you to picture yourself asking that person for help. That's a position we've probably never been in. 
Imagine this. I want you to picture yourself sick, really sick. I mean, your body is aching and you're not getting better and you've become seriously worried. You're covered in sores and you think, I'm going to die. I'm going to die unless there's a doctor that comes and takes me by the hand and heals me. Those are pictures of your true neediness before God. You are more sin impoverished, sin sick, than that poor man and that sick man combined. Good people, religious people, don't like to think of themselves as sin sick, poor beggars. But that's what we are. We fill our lives with more plastic and more junk and more distractions to convince ourselves that all is well but it isn't. The good thing about this level of neediness is that what it does is it puts you in a position where you hear the invitation of God's generosity towards you. I'm going to ask us to stand right now if you would and in the light of his pursuit of you and your need of him, I want us to worship him for just a moment.